Hello, and welcome back to the Podcast of Things. I'm here with Kalea. Hi. A fellow Trinity College student. So, um, Kalea, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, as Jake said, my name is Kalea. I am a sophomore here at Trinity College, and I am an art history major with a minor in architectural studies. Mm, very, very exciting stuff. And the topic of today's podcast will be art-related, as befits the art history major and architectural studies minor. So, first of all, uh, where are you from originally? I am originally from New York. I grew up in Washington, D.C., though. Washington, D.C. So what brings you to Trinity? Um, you know, where I went to school, it was very fitting to go to a New England liberal arts college. Mm. Um, and it all kind of just fell in line. <laughs> fell in line. That's a classic. Yeah. Awesome. I love to hear it. So why art history? Why did you decide to major in art history? And did you know you were going to major in art history when you got here? Or was it something you kind of found out later? Um, I did not know that I was going to major in art history when I got here. Um, I took my first art history class my senior year of high school. Um, it was AP Art History, and it was with one of my favorite teachers. And... I was just so interested in it that I knew I wanted to continue to take art history classes in college. I originally wanted to do something more visual arts focused, um, but of course Trinity College is not an art school. No, it is not. Um, it should be noted, by the way, sorry to interrupt you, that Clay is an excellent artist. Thank you very much. Excellent uh, artist. Yeah, but I took an art history class both my first and second semester of freshman year and decided that that is what I wanted to focus on. I became really interested in all of the different topics. I took an amazing class in modern architecture my mm. spring semester of freshman year, and that kind of pushed me to go into the art history direction. That's awesome. So what what do you think is the most fascinating part of art history as a discipline? Um, I think for me, it's seeing how the pieces, the items, whatever we're learning about connects to the broader context of the time period in which it was made. Mm, yeah. So how does this how does a piece connect to like World War Two? Like, if you're interested in World yeah, War II. Yeah, that's so interesting. You know? What, like, what can the piece tell you about society? Right. And, like, it's, it's almost a snapshot into the time it was exactly. made. Exactly. And yeah. I, I think it's really hard to learn about history in any context without those images, you know? We all need a frame of reference. And I think art is our frame of reference. Yeah, wow. That's a great point. Well said. Well said. So... What was I gonna? Oh, what was I gonna ask you? You've you've enamored me <laughs> with your discussion of art as history. Um, all right. Well, okay. Well, you know, let's just ask a question. As as an art history major, mm -hmm. what is your? Who is your favorite artist? Do you have a favorite piece of art? If not, that's okay too. Um, I'll start with my favorite piece of art. It is the winged Nike of Samothrace. Um, from Athens, Greece. The winged Nike of what? Winged Nike of Samothrace. Oh so um, we don't know the artist because it's from ancient Greece, but wow. it is an amazing statue of a woman, Athena Nike. If you know her story, if you know any Greek mythology. Uh, I know a little. I know a little, from, know my, a little. from my middle school Percy Jackson days. Of course. She 
has these great wings. She was found in not so great condition, so mm. she doesn't have a head or arms. Yeah. Um, but she was supposed to be found on the bow of a ship. Um, so it looks as though she is standing on the bow of a ship, um, wet, and like the wind is blowing on wow. her. So the drapery wow. um, is just immense detail. It comes from the Hellenistic period of ancient Greek art. Oh. Um, and it's just so well done. Like, the Greeks knew what they were doing. Yeah, and, and then the Romans copied them, huh? Oh, 100%. 100%. So is that a, is that a bronze statue? It is, um, no, it is a marble really? statue. It is in the Louvre. So if you've ever been to Paris or go to Paris, I have been. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is in one of the stairwells and it's just amazing. And if you don't I think I know seen what that it. looks like, I you should definitely it look it up with people. You should, is it the one where it's like, well, you just described it, but they have it kind of facing at an angle down mm. the stairs, right? Yeah. Or something like that. No, yeah. that's incredible. I, I like that take. Yeah. Sculptures are my favorite genre of art, personally. I think reason. so. As a person who paints and um, mainly looks at paintings in art history, um, sculpture is definitely like interesting to look at. And when you like understand like how they did those things right. back then, like oh. they're huge. Like the the David by Michelangelo. That's my favorite like, piece of art. Fourteen feet tall. It's crazy. Like, I saw it for the first time over the summer, over this past summer, and it is amazing. Like yeah. you have to, you like you have to be there. It's a crazy experience. Yes. But and your other question was if I had a favorite artist. Yes. Um, that's a harder question. Um, harder question. That's a harder question. Right now, I think my favorite artist. He's a contemporary artist. His name is Daniel Arsham. Um, he does amazing work both in sculpture and painting. Um, wow. Yeah, and his work is really cool. It does like a lot. It has a lot with like ancient like context and oh, like erosion that. and like taking a piece and like <coughs> basically making a piece as though it were found like from really? thousands of years ago. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm I'm going to have to look him up. Yeah. Hopefully the listeners will as well. So my last uh my last question for before we really delve into the mm. more philosophical elements here is um so do you know what you want to do after college with your art history degree? Um I've thought about it a bit. I think my main goal is to do like curatorial work for mm. um, museums and galleries, like having that creative direction, um, I think would be cool. This has nothing to do with art history, but um, like a career in fashion design, just any sort of like that would be really cool. creative direction, I think would be cool. And I assume you'll continue your art, making art, painting, no matter what career oh, you do. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You should, uh, you should publish your, your paintings online or something so the viewers can see them. But when, once I figure out how to do that, I will 100% <laughs> like, we'll start shipping them out on the, on yeah. the website. <laughs> All right. So do you want to introduce the topic for today? Yeah, sure. So currently I'm taking um, a class called Public Art, and it is an art history slash public policy. Um, art history slash public policy. Class. Interesting. Yeah. I um, didn't know that. And I, I knew you'd be interested in it. So I um, one of the first things that we spoke about in that class was about 
the taking down of monuments, mm-hmm. um, which has been a thing that we've been dealing with in the U.S. for the past couple of years. And yep. I really wanted to talk about, like, the destruction of art and how it is an erasure of our history. Yeah. So let's let's start. Tell me what you think about that. So let's let's start with a really, you know, an egregious one. Let's start with, you know, Confederate pro-slavery general big statue so you what you would say is you're not in favor of taking that down because obviously that's a hot button social issue at the moment it is a hot button social issue i would say no i'm not Mm. in favor of taking them down do we need like 50 statues of (laughs) like robert Robert e lee Lee? not necessarily but um i would say like taking those down is taking away a part of our history is it a nasty part of our history 100 percent. but it is a large part of our history what i would suggest instead is to keep those sculptures and also erect statues and monuments that tell the other side of that history you Mm. know like where are our union soldiers yeah (laughs) like where are those sculptures and monuments where are the enslaved people right so I think just like tearing out pages of a history book, if you tear down those statues, you yeah. know, we're not getting the full story. Now, this is going to be a weird comment coming from me as a white person to a person of color. But don't you think that it's offensive that people see it and it's almost hurtful that like our country is still parading these? I, not to say I have a stance one way or the other. I'm developing it as we talk. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me like it might be really hurtful to see those types of statues of your country like parading oh yeah this great guy but he was really a slave owner he was really a racist yeah um i wouldn't necessarily say that it's a way of parading i think it's really in the context in which you see it Mm. i think by having those it allows people to openly critique them you know as if you would put a painting on a wall you are allowing people to look observe and critique that work we don't have to look at a sculpture of Robert E. Lee and be like, oh, yeah, he was a great person. I can look at that sculpture and, like, understand what he did was wrong. Yeah. And those actions should be condemned. Right. But you say it's not parading, but isn't there an element of it that will always be parading? Because when it was built, it was a it was a monument. It wasn't a. I mean, yes, you're right, it's a piece of history now, but when it was built, it was certainly in celebration of this man. Yeah, and that's that's the difficult thing about it. I think instead of removing these statues, if we were to maybe replace the plaques to... Mm, that's a really good, idea, um, interesting idea. Just give insight of a more like neutral history while still telling the story but not having it any bias towards one side. Well, I think we can have a little bias against a the uh, against the slave owners. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. my opinion. A little bias. I will. I am not. I am not here for any sort of slavery. As you said, I am a woman of color, a black yeah. woman specifically, um, and I do not agree with any of that. But like we learn in history, like we can't erase that. Part I of really our like this idea of new plaques, um, and I think new plaques wouldn't be such a fiscal responsibility as well, because when you talked about earlier erecting new statues Mm -hmm. if we're going to do that for one of every single one of them i mean that's going to be it's going to be a hefty hefty price tag load yeah i mean plaques i mean it will add up it will be money but 
I mean, to me, I think that that's, I think that's a great solution. Now, how, this is another interesting thing, mm-hmm. kind of going off that. How important is it to change those plaques? So let's say, I'm just going to throw out a random figure. The federal government's going to do it with, I know it might be a more of a state government thing, fair enough. Mm-hmm. But let's say the federal government is going to use one billion, okay, that might be over, $500 million to change all the plaques across the United States. How important is rectifying that history versus, because some might say, why would you give $500 million for that? Let's give that to people in need. Let's invest in, uh, let's invest in education in impoverished areas and those Mm -hmm. types of things. So where do your, not where do your priorities lie, but, but what do you think about that debate? Um, well, it, it is certainly a debate that we hear whenever we talk about s- using money for anything art-related. Like symbolic, yeah. Exactly. Um, there's always going to be more of a priority towards wanting to help people in need rather than, like, the beautification of a city um, on a moral stance. But I think... For me, it's more than beautification, though. That's true. It's, yeah, it's a symbol of well, what okay, our country before you represents. continue your point, for example, in um, uh, in Connecticut, it was well in every state legislature at some point they changed their constitution to from saying actually I don't know about every state legislature, but I know there's one either Connecticut or Massachusetts that changed their constitution from saying like all men will be created equal, all men will be able to pursue liberty, happiness, those types of things, and they changed it to all people. Mm-hmm. So. To me, to me, my opinion is that that is important because when your laws say it's for certain people, I understand it reflects legacies that yeah. that are different now under different social zeitgeists. But I think that that, like in the change in the law, do you agree that that's important just from saying all men created equal to all people? Yes, because it represents what our country looks like now. Exactly. Um, back then when the Constitution was written, um, they saw people as white men who owned land. Right. Um, that did not reflect women and that did not reflect people of color. Yeah, so and I it's, think it's explicit. But So then going back to our conversation, so we're, like for me it's more than beautification because it's how do you make sure that our country reflects, keeps the history. I, I, I do understand the importance of that. But at the same time, I think there's, there's a significant and compelling interest in getting rid of these symbols of oppression that were constructed to be celebrations. And I think that it's more than just beautification to change the plaques in our hypothetical scenario here. Yeah. So, but, but please continue your, your opinion on the debate. I would say it's, it's difficult because people's priorities obviously lie in different places. But mm-hmm. like you said, I think it is important to sort of allocate that you know allocate some funds if we were to like change plaques in order to you know still represent what this country is and represent its history in Mm. a way that's not as harmful as it has been in the past no that's fascinating and it's so because i'm sure some people would take the stance there there shouldn't be a single dollar devoted to that we should devote every single one of those dollars to to alleviating our massive wealth inequality and our our poverty problems but the interesting part of it is like it's it's not directly related maybe but to what degree is are the problems and the material problems in our country related to the the social and idea problems that that stem from these type of symbols like all men created equal all in in law or these statues you know what i mean 
Yeah, that's a little above what I know, but... Um, oh, I don't think anyone knows the answer yeah. to that, to be fair. But I just think that, like, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a whole other podcast, isn't yeah. it? The, the entanglement between symbols of the past and the materiality of the present. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, we're not going to be able to answer that now. We would have had to do some more research for that. Definitely. So, so you are not in favor of tearing down any statues, but you are in favor of changing the plaques. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, changing the plaques and or erecting more statues that Mm -hmm. um, represent a different part of America's history. And which policy position would you prefer out of those two, just out of curiosity? Um, I think the erecting of different statues. I think, again, because we can look at a confederate statue and critique it Mm -hmm. um and for those who still believe in the confederacy for whatever reason they may like yeah i I personally will not understand that but (laughs) that's fair to each their own they could also look at a union statue for example and be able to critique it and assess the history that they learned maybe hopefully learned something new about the country no that's a great point and that's a great point because i think you're right that if you change the plaques in some ways you do lose a little bit of the history because the plaques are a part of it certainly um so what do you think do you think there's any reasonable resistance someone might have to this idea say we should just keep it how it is we shouldn't erect anything new well of course um there will be the argument that we are not portraying something that's factual Mm. um there are plenty of people out there that believe what they believe and so you're um, saying people don't believe that slavery happened um i would say that there are definitely um a group of people that don't believe that the civil war was fought over slavery surprisingly um i have heard people say that the civil war started because um the confederacy was not happy with um, their rights being taken away, their rights to property. I see. What they're missing is that the fact that their rights to property were the rights to owning people. Right. You um, know, and I've heard that, I've heard the same thing, that it wasn't over slavery, but I've heard it from the reverse. I've heard that that for the Union, for Abraham Lincoln, slavery wasn't his primary concern. I'm not an expert on this, but mm-hmm. I've heard that that was kind of, like, he was... He was kind of ambivalent on the issue of slavery, but what he was not ambivalent on was keeping the union together. Yes. A, that was the main thing. But you're talking about from the other angle. You're saying that yes. the, state, it was, the states' rights argument. Oh, yes. the Civil War was the fought over states', states the rights. The states' rights argument is an argument that I often hear. I would agree that Abraham Lincoln, I'm sure his first priority was not slavery, but that definitely right. was a big topic. And like going back to... 11th grade United States history, you know, like that was a big thing. And, you know, when you're a politician, you have to make sacrifices. Yeah. Um, and you have to do what you believe is best for like the majority of people. And mm-hmm. he made his decision and people weren't happy with that. And what's interesting is that the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, yeah. D.C., it doesn't say anything about slavery. Really? not a thing interesting so this great our great 16th president who was known for emancipating slaves his memorial does not say anything 
about the Emancipation Proclamation. And some people were talking about that Abraham Lincoln should be, quote-unquote, canceled. Some people were. Do you know anything about that? I'm not really super familiar with that. I'm also not super familiar with it. I'm... But I will put my personal opinion. I don't really like cancel culture. Mm, um, that's interesting. Let's delve into that for a little bit. Tell okay. us, what, tell I us think, your feelings on that. Um, so obviously, I think that people should be held accountable for their actions. Mm-hmm. Um, to cancel them, to me, is a little controversial because it does not allow said person to really, like grow from their mistakes Mm, like if you were to say something controversial um and everybody was like let's cancel jake even if you apologized for that and people don't forgive you because that's really what cancel culture is it's like we're gonna just stop supporting you in every way possible you don't grow from that and it just like it's fair it puts this pressure on people to be perfect and watch what they say 100% of the time and mm-hmm. be agreeable with everybody. But, you know, that's not how life works. It closes off debate a little bit. And it it's does. Kind of like It's kind of like mob, mob uh, consensus. Like yes. who is deciding what is cancelable and what is not. So I tend to agree with you there. But to play devil's advocate, what if someone is saying things that, that are dangerous? You know, some people think Andrew Tate is spreading messages oh. that are that are dangerous, that are changing the minds of young men, for example, and bringing more misogyny into the world than would be without him. Or Donald Trump inciting violence, those types of things. Yes, 100%. And to those two examples, I would say that, I mean, Andrew Tate's currently in jail, correct? So cancel them. Um, <laughs> no, Not no, cancel, no. but I think there is something in ignoring them. Not necessarily, like... I see. You know... Like, cancel, it's just so, it's so harsh, you know? Mm. And like, so even for Andrew Tate and Donald Trump, it's so harsh. Is that your opinion? Gosh. Putting you, you on the spot here. Yeah, you're pushing me into a corner here. Um, no, no. I mean, to be honest with you, while you think about that, I don't know what I think about it. Because I certainly think that there are, I think, I think there are ideas that, you know, can perpetuate certain norms that would be best would be best changed, obviously. Yes. Misogyny, uh, you know, what's the word? Xenophobia, mm-hmm. those types of things. But at the same time, you know, I tend to believe in this sort of ideal that, you know, let's let people debate, let's let people come to their own conclusions. Uh, the truth, quote unquote, whatever, if that's yeah. a real thing, will win out, you know, in the marketplace of ideas. But, um, you know, I have to be honest, I'm not sure that's true. So so what's your answer? Should it? Di- should, is cancellation harsh even for Donald Trump and Andrew Tate? Um, so I'll give you a sort of non-answer. I think... Okay, very political. <laughs> come work in the Capitol. <laughs> um, I think it's kind of silly to cancel a figure like Donald Trump, the fact mm. that he was a political figure. Um, He has said and done so many wrong things for years, like way before he was president. Um, That's just, I don't even know if like cancel would be the word for it. Like that is just not something that we should put our energy towards in terms of Andrew Tate and the fact that he is 
molding the young minds of so they say boys. So, uh, so they, they say. say. I mean, I I don't know. He hasn't molded my <laughs> mind. I'll tell you that. But good. Um, <laughs> no, but I do think that that is a at least a valid concern. I don't know if it's true or not. But yes, I think that that is something that's like we just need to teach these people who may be under the influence of Andrew Tate right from wrong because i think his main demographic is like middle school boys probably um so like teaching them right from wrong but i think cancellation like i think that's something very big in our generation like gen z yes the idea of like a teenager like saying something inappropriate like the n-word for example there is plenty of um white children or even just like non-black people of color who have said offensive and racist things it has been videotaped i'm sure we all heard the story of a digital footprint and how that's important and how they're being canceled if you're 13 and you say something racist and somebody cancels you you don't get to grow from that. That's true, especially at age 13. Yes, and you're, like, that's a developing young mind. You know, like, that person needs to learn how to take responsibility for their actions, apologize from it, and grow from it. To cancel adults, like, that's a different thing. They're they're far beyond... They're set in their ways. They're set in their ways, unfortunately. Now, what about canceling monuments? They certainly seem set in their ways. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well... The monuments themselves can't be blamed for being built. That's um, fair. <laughs> the people who they represent could be, And as you started this conversation, to cancel a man who's been dead for who knows how many years now, like, I think that's just a little bit silly. Like, hmm. we can be focusing our energy on something else. We could forget all those dead white men. I can't even <laughs> name all <laughs> of the presidents that we've had. Oh, n- very few can. I mean, I I tend to agree with you. And, you know, my hunch, my intuition is leave up any statues. I think that it's, you know, shows history. But I do often feel that that intuition, that hunch comes from a certain place of privilege where I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have the same perspective on these types of things. Yeah. And so I do think that, and then on the other hand, to pl- to play devil's advocate again, it just seems to me like it's important, like the the subcurrent, the, the subconscious culture of our, of our culture, of our nation, do we want it to be like, oh, yeah, of course, that's the statue of this guy who wiped out Native Americans, and oh, yes, that's the statue of this guy who enslaved a bunch of people based on the color of their skin. Like, yes, we're never going to change those, those things, and I would agree that the material, the material de facto segregation and wealth inequality, mass incarceration, mass incarceration, those material things to me are much more important than the symbolic gestures, mm-hmm. certainly. But there's no telling what effect those symbolic gestures have subconsciously in a dif- of a diffuse nature on our culture that then have an effect on our materiality, material, material, yeah, materiality. So I would say our material surroundings. So I would say that I'm just not sure. I'm not so, sh- I'm not completely sold yet that we should leave them up. So yeah. It's definitely, again, a different conversation, difficult conversation to have. And like I said, when we started, my opinion is a bit controversial. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think it is. I, I do think that your opinion is unique, and that's yeah, why it's so interesting. And I think that my opinion is controversial because it's coming from a historic, 
critical stance, like the stance of a historian mm-hmm. rather than the stance of somebody who is, mm-hmm. you know, walking down the street and seeing the statue of yeah. a Confederate soldier. And it's interesting because this, of course, is not the first time that this has been an issue, nor will it be the last time yeah. that this would be an issue. But um, like I said, like art is such a big part of our history and in ways has been controlled. Oh, tell us what you mean by that. So I took a 20th century avant-garde art history class last semester and when we started moving into the 1930s um closer to around the time of world war ii like when stalin was in power like he controlled what the art looked like hmm really yes in just in russia or elsewhere in russia Mm. so basically all these russian contemporary artists they were very limited to what they could make or that work would be destroyed interesting um so that work is a reflection of that time right 1930s ussr like all of it was red and like that can that communist red and like pictures and paintings and imagery of like soldiers fighting like that's all it was and like s- portraits of Stalin himself like oh yeah that's what all of the art was and that's all it was going to be and why is that fundamentally like bad in your opinion it might be an easy question but um i mean to me it's just like taking away somebody's right to expression yeah. um these artists didn't necessarily want to like paint war images for Stalin but yeah i'm sure some were convinced and some were coerced yes. the old uh but it, it's, it's the censorship. Yes. And for that, when we learn about it, you're only seeing one side of that history. Yeah. Because but, there was nothing else. No, certainly. And I mean, getting back into this intrinsic value kind of topic, like, so is there really intrinsic value in these statues? Does the Robert E. Lee, like, what, what value does that bring as a historical element? I know we've talked about that it has historical value, mm-hmm. but if you could speak a little bit to... What is that historical value? What do we learn from it? What does it bring to the culture? What does it bring to the political debate? Those, all those sorts of things. Um, I think that it is a tool to teach people because um, you could learn from a history book. Um, but oftentimes, like, when you go to a site and you see something, usually monuments are erected in places that are um significant yeah um so to like be able to go to a battlefield or like go to any of these said places where these monuments are it's a tool of education um and like i've been saying like it's a way to tell this part of our history yeah and it does seem a little nefarious to uh to like sort of sanitize that out of our history yeah and then like what do you end up with like oh no we've been great the whole time no worries and that's that's a big thing and as a person who studies history i know art history is different than like american history or like european history specifically but the fact that in america alone the amount of textbooks that 
don't cover the full history. The, you know, there's the big debate Certainly. and issue of whitewashing history. Yeah. You know, like we're not getting the full story. I mean, so I, I'll tell you this. High school history is a, and, and, and below is an mm-hmm. indoctrination project. When like, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that there's things, even there's differences between where I went to high school in Texas mm-hmm. and here. Cause you know, I tell people some things like, I can't believe this. Like I just learned this now in, um, I just learned this now in college. Uh, and they're like, Oh, I learned that in high school. But I mean, it totally changes my outlook on life. For example, I did not know that in, in these are rough statistics. So, but I did not know that in Vietnam, two to 3 million Vietnamese people were killed as compared to 50,000 Americans. Like I never knew that. All I heard was like the, the horrors of how the Vietnamese army was and all these mm-hmm. things. Like I never heard that difference in death toll. So like that is crazy. And that ch- it does change your outlook on life. So yeah. would you say monuments do the same thing? I think so. And again, like, like you said, history in high school and below, like you're definitely trained to learn something. You are trained 100%. to believe what happened, even though that might not necessarily been what happened. And I think that to take down these monuments is a way to like kind of sweep under the rug this history that we had. And I think that, again, that's another reason why my stance might be a little controversial, but we can't erase the fact that this stuff happened. As much as I'd like to pretend that this country is not a racist place with a whole bunch of problems, you know, I have Mm -hmm. to live with the fact that I was born here. But, you know, we're surrounded by it every day. Some people have to go through it more than others. Um, Some people are faced with our nation's history more than others. I, you know, I'm reminded of it every day. Um, But, you know, you can't take away the bad because then that doesn't leave much for us to work with. Like if we want to continue to develop as a nation, I think that we have to remember what we did wrong and fix it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a great point. And I think going back to, you know, going back to the idea of school, it's not, you say that they train you to, to know certain things and to think certain things. It's not even so much that they train you. They don't have to train you because you're learning that information for the first time, you know? So when, when you get that story, that's all you have to work with. It's not like when you get to college and you hear these different perspectives, you start analyzing who was right, who tells the story better, whose theories are more correct, mm-hmm. whose theories are more applicable maybe is the better word than correct. But but I, I definitely think that if you don't have the statues, you may fall you may fall into that a little bit. Like like, oh I didn't know that there were peeps generals that were applauded for for fighting for slavery and those types of things. And then I think also the other aspect of it is um, you know, like you say you're talking about you're talking about if we whitewash history. I, I agree. I just think that that is going to cause problems. Certainly, like I yeah. think that. I mean, will it though? Will, like, what's maybe it'd just be better to never never talk about it again? You know, <laughs> that's it's one, interesting. That's one way to do it's, it. You know, what's really interesting <laughs> is that the debate, funnily enough, is that I'm grossly generalizing here. I hope no one gets offended, but conservatives will typically say will typically say, oh, guys, we need to forget about the past history of racism, right, and move on. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? But they're the same ones that would tell you, no, we have to leave the statues up. It's part of our history. Yeah. It's an interesting contradiction. And then it works the other way, too, because people will say, no, we need to remember 
We need to remember the history of racism, learn from it. We need to learn how, see how it's affected the present. This was maybe more the liberal perspective, but then they, they are also more inclined to say, let's take down this statue. Yeah, and I think now I'm going to over, overgeneralize. Yeah. Um, I think for white people it is easier to say, let's forget. Mm, um, yeah. Especially in this country, I'll stick to America. Um, I won't delve into my lack of knowledge in world history <laughs> right now. Um, but, you know, like I saw something on TikTok, you know, everything's on TikTok. Everything. Um, somebody talking about like, oh, we should be thankful for Abraham Lincoln or we should be thankful for white people for ending slavery. And my first mm. thought was, well, white people are the reason that we had slavery in this country in the first place, mm-hmm. you know? So for them, like ending slavery was making up for right. an issue that they caused, whether they wanted to do that or not. It's and like a celebrated moment. It right. almost it almost shouldn't be a celebrated moment. It's right. almost like... it's yeah, We wouldn't have had this problem if yeah. you didn't pack up a whole bunch of people from Africa onto a ship and brought them to this country that was not yours. It's hard to, to even truly conceptualize, yeah. to really understand like that that actually happened. It's, it's hard to even understand what it might be like to be in prison. Like you think you have an idea of it. Oh, no. But, I, I could never imagine what like, I would not last in prison. I would, I would try. Um, I don't think I have the people skills to last <laughs> in prison. Oh, I'm sure um, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would definitely just want to be like, Warren, please let me stay in my room all day. But, and, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I like. I think for some white people, it is easier to definitely. be like, well, because listen. there's there's also the illusion that like. And and frankly, frankly racist, uh, <laughs> frankly racist ideology that, oh, you know, like well, white people are doing better solely because they work harder. You know, like it has nothing to do with histories of racism. I mean, like the fact that that illusion is so prevalent is crazy to me. And maybe it's tied to, maybe it's tied to these sorts of statues and stuff. I don't know how that relates, but but would you? Like, I mean, I don't know if you disagree, but I find that all the time. Like the argument you'll see if you look up Ben Shapiro or something, it has like wealth disparity has nothing to do with race and everything to do with culture. Have you heard that? Yes, it's I have. Um, I agree. It is absurd. And I think it 100% has to do with where we come from. Yeah. You know, um, it's a the generational hist- thing. Sure. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I mean, let me qualify what I just said. I don't want to make it seem like I'm oversimplifying, like, oh, yeah past equals this no matter what it's very simple to explain it's not very simple like wealth disparity is the product of a lot of different racial wealth disparity (laughs) is the product of a lot of different uh diffuse elements a lot of which stem from histories of colonialism racism slavery but it's certainly not true because because if you're saying that then what are you saying the culture of people with black skin is what not as good not as hardworking. it just doesn't make sense it it doesn't make sense, and I don't think that people realize that, you know. It's a widespread belief. Like you a, will hear even from people at this very liberal school that is Trinity College. Yeah, I would say in terms of liberal schools, Trinity is definitely more on the right yeah, side. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Maybe um, I made an overgeneralization there. Um, But, yeah, I, like, 
if people believe that, I would just suggest to like for them to get to know some people of color yeah, no. in general and see how hard I know. we actually work because it is not that simple. We are not lazy people. Oh, we couldn't even we get are, into it. Like now. it's it that's we should have a whole other but podcast. Even, I know, a hundred percent. But even if you take out the element of race, it's like to it's this weird backwards thing where you say that Oh, if you're poor, it means you must have had a bad culture and a bad work ethic. But mm-hmm. if you're rich, it must have me- meant you had a good culture and a good work ethic. You know what I mean? Yeah. It comes in reverse. Like you, you see these uh, success, quote unquote, measured in wealth, possession, and you, and then you retroactively attribute work ethic, good culture, good values, those types of things. And I mean, fair enough. I guess people do it on the basis of on the basis of trends and patterns. But I mean, regardless, it just, it just I, I can't even I can't even fathom that argument. It doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. At some point, maybe I'm going to have to have someone on who believes <laughs> that. Well, these trends and patterns come from right. It's just, thousands of years mm-hmm. of displacement and power. You know, like I'm not sure it was thousands, hundreds, hundreds definitely. I feel like we're getting closer to the thousands. We may be getting closer. To, if if you continue, if you consider the present, which you probably should, yeah. then then yeah, we're probably approaching thousands. Fair. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. Okay. That was deep. That was. It was deep. We delved into it. From I mean, it was bound to happen when you yeah. talk about historical racist monuments. But certain. more on the art. T- do you want to know more about art? Yes, as please. A subject or history? Do you have any questions for me? Well, I think that not so much that questions, end? but I think it's time that we delve in to some more of the intricacies of art um, before we conclude this podcast. Okay. I want to get into with you, especially because you're an art history major, because mm. you're an avid painter. Is beauty in the eye of the beholder, or is some art better than others? Um, Is there such a thing as bad and good art? (laughs) Okay, so in my personal opinion, Mm. um, I 100% believe that there's such thing as good and bad art. Wow, okay. Um, In a more professional opinion, I think that good art can be quantified as something that evokes emotion when you look at it. Um, and for example, but what if it evokes emotion differently in pe- different people? And it will. Um, but to evoke an emotion, it's it's doing something for okay. you, whether that be a good emotion or a bad one. For example, modern art. Personally, I don't love it. Oh, I'm with um, you there. There is. I don't know who the painter is, but if you go to the MoMA, you will see a canvas. Mm-hmm. Painted white. Oh, I cannot believe it. I okay. My personal opinion <laughs> before I really get into philosophy is that that is just not even. This is my philosophical opinion. How can you compare a white canvas? I've seen a blue, just like a light blue color mm-hmm. onto a canvas that like a robot could have done. How can you compare the quality of that with these intricate portraits, these intricate scenes of battle or whatever done by Raphael, Michelangelo? It just to me, it, it seems intuitively like some art is better than others. Yeah, but you see what it did there? It evoked an emotion in you. But what if in another person it evokes emotion more to look at the blue canvas? Well, then that... But then we're saying it's all individualized. And then we're saying basically there's no such thing as art that is better or worse. That is 
that is hard to say. I think on a technical level, there you can definitely make the argument that some painters who, you know, went to school mm-hmm. for art and studied with and had apprenticeships like Michelangelo and Raphael and these like great yeah. um, Renaissance painters um, are technically better than, you know, somebody who didn't. For example, like Jean-Michel Basquiat, who just... Oh, not Basquiat. This is a... (laughs) Shout out to my sister here. That's like her favorite artist. Who did not have any formal training. You know, you could make the argument that that is technically better. One is technically better than the other. But I think... But what does technically even mean? Because my sister would tell you that Basquiat is better than Michelangelo. Yes, and that is her personal opinion. It's wild. I would. <laughs> I don't have an opinion on that. I think both artists um, are very, you know, influential <laughs> for their times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Please look up Basquiat's and paintings. They are, if they you are, are very listening. different times. Um, I might add. Um, no, no, you're definitely right. They're definitely. So that's what I'm kind of getting at. I mean. How can you say that one is better? Because what if some people just just don't agree, you know? Yeah. I mean, is it... So then the other thing is, like, can you say it's just schooling? It's just the amount of skill they have that makes someone better? No, because I'm sure there's people who went to school for 20 years for art yeah. and someone that's gone for zero years who's much better, or better, quote-unquote, for lack of a better word. And then similarly, I bet you there's paintings that someone spends... 20 hours on that might even be a small time is that a lot of time or a small time for a painting? i think it depends on how big the canvas is what's Pers- the most you've ever spent on a painting just out of curiosity a couple months a couple months okay but yeah. i'm talking like total hours total hours i think it might have been around 40 so okay. like a work week <laughs> so let's take 40 hours right and then let's take i'm sure that you've probably i mean i might be might be uh, generalizing here, but I, I'm sure you've probably done art in less time that you might think is better than that art. Oh, yeah. Right. I've, so it's not I've just... I've certainly worked on pieces for like two hours that I thought were more successful than my 40-hour painting. Right. Because it's... So it's clearly not just the amount of time you put in yeah. equals better painting. So then what is better? It, can you quantify it? Um, I think it's hard, but like I said, I think it's something... Like if you look at a piece and it evokes something in you, you know, like... For me, over time, I have lost the value in Renaissance art. Mm, yeah. It is beautiful. No, a lot of people say that. Um, it is beautiful art. And as much as I learned the history and the context, especially like the religious context behind yeah. these works, like it's interesting. But I think looking at something, what's an example? Um, now I can't think of one off the top of my head, but like a Gogon, for example. Okay. A French, um, what time period was he? Like post-Impressionist, I think. Um, you could say anything, I'll believe I'm you. Least, okay, but if somebody were to look it up, I'm pretty sure it was post-Impressionist. Um, but like his work, even though it's not hyper-realistic and doesn't look like it comes from life, exactly. it's still like... You very prefer it. interesting. And I think over time, like spending hours and hours a week looking at art, like that's all I do now. Right. Um, I do find that more of our contemporary work, so from 1800 going forward, is a lot more interesting, 
um, conceptually than yeah. Renaissance art. And that's fair. I mean, Renaissance art is is a little repetitive. For me, there's something I love about Renaissance art, and I don't know what it is. Obviously, I don't. I'm not as big of an art viewer or studier as you are. But, you know, it's interesting because there's some paintings that look like... Like, let's go back to Basquiat, because my sister will tell you that <laughs> that he's better than Michelangelo. But Michelangelo yeah. paintings are technically fantastic. But then the question is, what does technically even mean? Well, what's to say that, that... I mean, technically, I guess, how would you describe technically? Like, fundamentally good at conventional painting strategies um style yeah so in terms of conventional painting i think as we start as like humankind started developing the skills to make things not just paintings but like sculptures so like the greeks and Mm -hmm. the romans make things look closer to life that became precedent so closer to life is like technically good is what we're saying yes i think that that's fair. our I that minds we it's something that we can relate to so when you look at a still mm. life painting um the dutch in like the 16th 1700s were very oh, good yes, at like still life paintings you know like you look at this painting and looks it looks like a, like photograph. a photograph right you know and so in our minds we're like this is good because it looks exactly what it's supposed to look like mm, that's a great i think that that's how my mind works exactly and I, it's hard and for me to get past that's that. how my mind looked at and like studying more than just that kind of art made me realize that although yes it is very good and that's a very nice painting and hopefully one day i would be able to have that technical skill it's not as interesting Right, that's, and I mean, it's interesting because today, hyper-realism is no longer even really valued. I saw someone on Instagram, Mm -hmm. okay, just like TikTok, pretty much everything's on Instagram. They did a a portrait using colored pencils, using colored pencils of Neymar, and it was insane. It looked like a photograph. It was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this is not a famous artist or anything, and I think it's because at this point, People have learned, so many people know how to do realism. Do you think that's true or do you think that that I get a skewed perception based on the fact that Instagram delivers hand to me all yeah, these people that are um, so good? Of course, I can't name the amount of people who have of course, those yeah. technical skills. But someone in the art scene, do you encounter the, these people a lot? Um, I would say it's about half and half. Um, mm. I think more often I run into people who are artists that use more of their imaginations so my brother for example he's an artist he has his degree in painting and printmaking and he makes these fantastical scenes that you would never see from life and they're just like interesting some of the most interesting things that you can look at we have one of his paintings hanging up at my front door at home and like you can stare at it for hours and like find something new in it and i think that sometimes I can show you a picture. Um, I think that, like, for me personally, those sorts of images are more interesting to look at. Like Picasso, for example. I'm not a huge fan of cubism. Okay. But the fact that you can look at a Picasso and not know what it is, but the longer you stare at it, you can make something out of it. That's pretty cool, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. It, like, makes you work for something. It makes... It's like, what are you looking at? And there's this there's this painting in the Wadsworth Athenaeum here in Hartford. Um, 
that's just like on a regular wall in a hallway you walk past it and the first time I walked past it I was like why is this here it's just a canvas painted royal blue I was like right what's the worth in that the second time I walked past it I actually looked at it and in it you can see tiny gold stars really yeah but if you didn't stop to look at it you'd just be like it's a blue canvas interesting that's it yeah maybe that's what happened with those canvases i've seen i just didn't stop for long enough maybe um but i think i'm pretty sure a lot of those canvases are just painted white (laughs) um no 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 but that one so like now every time i go to the athenaeum and i look at it i'm like this is really interesting because this is a detail that i missed right and would have continued to miss if i didn't like stop and be like hey let me actually look at this and like be less mad that it's just painted right because it's not well, you know, that's really interesting because so let's I think we've kind of come to the conclusion that technical skill and realism means that art cannot be better or worse at all. Right. Yeah. And so now we're saying it's kind of based on interest. But can paintings be objectively more interesting than um, others? Or is it only subjective? Hmm. Like, could I look at a painting and you say this is the worst painting of all time and I say this is my favorite painting of all time? Because it seems like there's some general consensus, i.e. Oh, the reason yeah. that things are in museums. Um, 100%. I think that you can have a favorite painting that I just disdain. Um, and the funny thing about art history is that um, art historians, they do have preference. Um, of course, yeah. I, my teachers will tell me what they do and do not like. Um, but yeah, I, I would say it is subjective and his art museums, a lot of that stuff is bit like curators. I mean, I think it's really based on like what they have a hold of, you know, some right. private collectors will give their works to museums. They will like curators will find a story and build off of it, you know? Yeah, um, definitely. So I want to get into, you know, I kind of want to get into the juncture between the value of art and society Mm. and are they intertwined? Can they be separated? Because, for example, I sometimes wonder to myself, and this might be a ridiculous thing to wonder, but I sometimes wonder with myself two ends of this spectrum about liking art. Mm -hmm. Like, does everyone really like the Mona Lisa that much? So Interestingly, the Mona Lisa, I heard, wasn't actually always super famous. It became it that way, right? It became famous because it was stolen. Right. but And, and it used to be just like on a normal wall in the Louvre. And yeah. then re- more recently, it got its own exhibit and became world-renowned. Is that correct? Yes. So, interestingly enough, I don't like the Mona Lisa. I don't really... I, I, don't, <laughs> um, I don't mind it, but I don't I mean, like it. it's just it. like I... Learned about the story of the Mona Lisa in art history class. You know, it was a portrait made for this man of his wife. Yeah. Um, and Leonardo da Vinci ended up keeping it as like a calling card so he can show other people who potentially might buy his art the skills that he had. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, I heard he never finished it. Um,. I guess you could say it's finished. I don't know. Um, Some debate. Okay. But, you know, it's a rather small portrait right. of this random woman. And I think um, people are gassing the whole, like, oh, you can't tell if she's smiling or not. Or say, is she staring at she's you? Sta- you like, know, I which, that is a technical, that is a technique. The whole, like, the whole eyes moving thing. That is a painting technique that That's I don't know fair. if many people do anymore. Um, 
but you know. Um, the smile thing, though, I'm not really set. Yeah, sold Mona, on it. You have a whole movie called Mona Lisa Smile. Like, I don't even know what that movie's about. But I've like, never, I've never she. She's taken over our minds, but when right, I went to the Louvre and I saw the Mona Lisa, I was like, wow, this is really underwhelming. And I'd rather saw, look at something else. And when I saw the Da Vinci's in the hallway, I was like, these are better yes. than the Mona You know what I mean? And so then it's like, but that painting, if you had that painting, you could sell it to someone for like a billion dollars. Like, yes. genuinely, like one billion dollars. You could, and but there's the argument that the Mona Lisa is... Leonardo da Vinci's like technical technically one of his best works that's fair and I mean Luca and I going back to the value Luca the previous guest if you listen to episode one and I were talking about this uh, Adam Smith passage from uh, what's the book the wealth of nations I believe it's called um, and he says that the less something to the effect of I haven't read it in a long time something to the effect of the less useful something is the more valuable it is now I, I think I don't think that's always the case but it's so interesting in art. Is art the only thing where the value is completely determined by society? Um, well, I can't say it's the only thing, um, but I think it is interesting how people place value on art. Mm. Um, a lot of pieces, like, well, here, I'll, let me backtrack. A lot of artists, you know, they were not famous until they died. If you think of Van Gogh, right? Yes. Like almost Van, most artists. Most artists, yes. Um, like if you think of Van Gogh, he's probably one of the most well-known artists yeah. ever. And if he you cut were, off his ear, is that correct? Yes, he did cut off his Wild ear. Wild story. But sent it continue. to his girlfriend. That's um, insane. <laughs> you know, he lived a life of poverty. And it wasn't until after he committed suicide and people kind of discovered his work that it became popular. Um, and art, some people view art as kind of a snobby thing because it is mm. reserved um, for rich people as like a way to like observe, you know, people who have enough money to buy a Picasso and have it hanging in their house, you know, like that is something that has been seen as very exclusive. And that's why there's like a rise of graffiti and those types of things too. Yes. It kind of counters that culture. It, it counters that culture and it, um, you know, I wouldn't say creates a divide, but I think definitely gives people who have that kind of money more incentive to like exclusify art again you right. know like but it, and then the soon graffiti, we're gonna be tearing down walls and putting them in people's houses because well, it happens these it, it gets colonized almost yeah because i mean the basquiat is a very is very good yeah, he's, he's in the example. i saw him in the museum in montreal to be fair it's a free museum yeah it, it, it is a free museum but his painting sold for millions of dollars mm -hmm. despite the fact that it was street art in essence i would say yeah i would and describe it as street like art. the amount of popularity it's like it, it gets buzz you know so maybe like not the greatest painting as long as like one person of influence likes it then right it but gets you say not traction. the greatest painting we d i thought we decided there's no such thing as great okay paintings. yes <laughs> yes and no yes and no um something i wouldn't buy if it right. were yeah it's but, not going in my, the basquiat's are not going in my house let me yeah. tell you that and not also that I can you know them, like the prices that these paintings are going for is also not the prices that these artists who made them would be charging them for. Oh, definitely not. It's a post-death um, post type I of thing. I think it's definitely one of those things that 
has become monetized. And personally, as an artist and an art historian, I could say I am in the next couple of years can like take back and like give art back to the public. And I think like me taking this public art class, the main thing I want to know is like, you know, there's statues, for example, the bull on Wall Street. Yeah, that is a piece of public art. What is the value of that? Mm-hmm. Why is it there? You know, like how can we give this art back to the public? Right. Um, do you think it's for if it's in a public museum? Do you think it's it's been effectively given to the public? Because sometimes it's free, but sometimes it's in New York. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, that's kind of the reality of geography. That's the reality of geography, and I think also because art because art is not viewed as essential like museums like the met like they need to profit off of something you know um unfortunately i mean like do i want to pay twenty dollars to go see the works in the met every single time i go to new york no and honestly that's why i only go on school trips (laughs) um yeah but like dc you know the smithsonian's like the government is paying for that right so it's different Mm -hmm. um and i think in terms of like the value of art and how like i hope that more artists have control over that so like for example banksy this like anonymous artist i feel like i've heard of him slash her definitely i think it's a man um he had a painting um it was being sold at an auction house sotheby's it's a very famous um art auction house and um he rigged it so that when the piece was bought so the person who won it you know the um auction was over the piece shredded itself really it shredded itself so there was like a switch in the canvas that he had made so that when it was sold it completely destroyed itself wow and so that person paid millions, and what did they I do? think, billions. I mean, it's shredded, you know, half hanging out of the canvas. Um, I'm sure the person still took it home, but, you know, that was his way. Like, this person spent millions of dollars on that painting. That's and wild. now, like, what is it worth now? Is it still I bet it's, worth I bet it's that? even worth more. It's worth more. Isn't that crazy? It's worth more, which is insane to think about, but. The it's value like of the art is, is so multifaceted because it's, it's the story, it's, it's the culture so. it represents, it's the snapshot of history, but it's also sometimes the technical piece, it's the interest. It's it's really, really, really fascinating. It's who it's made by, you know? Some like, people, some people, it's totally who it's made by. Some people think, so. so are we deciding officially that there's no such thing as innate beauty in art, inherent beauty? Um... No, I think that you could say that beauty is in the eye of We're the beholder. We're going in a circle here. I, well, Okay, no, no, I'm not saying that art isn't beautiful, but I'm saying you can't say for sure that one thing is objectively beautiful because it's up to everyone's opinions is what we're saying. Um, yes. Um, okay. I think it's hard. I'm sure I could find a couple of examples that are like everybody would agree that this one thing is beautiful, but I think it, so, you could say that it is an opinion. I've definitely seen art that has brought me to tears because of how beautiful wow. it was but you know of course like that emotion's not going to come out of everybody i haven't um, had experience yet i'm looking forward it's, to it honestly hopefully. it is a very great experience yeah um 
to like find something that's just so amazing that it brings you to tears. I hope that everybody experiences that one day. Oh, um, I was in tears when Messi won the World Cup. I'll say that. For <laughs> but Maybe so, that was your that was your moment. That was. Your I mean piece. that that's my art. And you know I want to talk. I have so many things to ask about. We're running over time, but it's okay. We have to. We'll do a part two. <laughs> mm, yeah, or we'll talk about what I want to talk about now. No, okay. I'm just kidding. We'll, no, no, go ahead. Ask we'll your do question. both. We'll do both. So, three things. Okay, first I want to start with. We talk about that, oh, everybody could agree that this art is good, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes I wonder it both ways. Like I said about the Da Vinci, about the Mona Lisa, does everyone really think it's great or because it's, or do they think it's great because it's popular? And it's like, I think that some people are kind of almost lying, for lack of a, lack of a better word, or maybe lying to themselves about how, yeah. how much they like it. But I think it happens in the opposite, too. Like, I think that I do think that people find a lot of value in Basquiat. I really do. But I also think that there's a great deal of of I like it because it's unconventional. Like I want to be different. I want to be the person who likes this art style. You know what I mean? And you convince yourself of that. But but then I guess if you convince yourself of it, then it's true. Right. Yeah. I think that art specifically, whether that be visual arts, music, movies, like it is definitely like a social club. Where it's a social club. It's definitely a social club where it's like you're in if you understand this. Right. So, you and you're know, in with certain people. Like there's right. certain there's certain art snobs that if you if you adequately hate Basquiat, then you're in with them. Right. I'm sure. And then there's certain kind of different cultures where if you like Basquiat, then you're in with them. Right. And like that's just the nature of life. Like we all mm-hmm. want to like herd together. And I think you know like. When you learn about the Mona Lisa, I feel like the Mona Lisa is one of those paintings that right. you hear about, like, in school, regardless if you're taking an, an art history class or not. But it's like... 100%. This is your example of what good art yeah. is. Like, and the social aspect is not just in art. To, to answer yeah. my other question, I mean, like, why are Yeezys more expensive than Skechers? You know what I mean? Right. Like, like it, they're probably made with similar materials. Or why is the Lamborghini cost so much it gets you from point A to point B, and you know right. what I mean. Same as the same as the Toyota. It's the social aspect. It's, it's the social what it represents. But some people would argue that it's more than that. That like the Lamborghini is just more beautiful, mm. and that there's a consensus that it's more beautiful. So I guess my question about what I said about the Basquiat liking it as liking Basquiat as a counterculture and liking um, the Mona Lisa to fit in, I guess my question would be: Can you lie about your art preferences? Do you think that? That maybe really there is there is good and bad art, but people kind of lie. But then, but then it seems like I'll let you answer. I'm sorry, but then it seems like if you if you lie to yourself and you convince yourself, then it's true. You're no longer lying because you've convinced yourself. Um. Well, I'll say from my personal experience, I have definitely felt pressured to like or not like some things because of the people around me. Um, I think it's interesting because when you hear about things in a positive context, you automatically associate that thing positively. Mm. The same for negative things. So, And sometimes if you happen to hear things positively too often or when you're in a bad mood, you might immediately... Be the opposite, be the contrarian. Right. But so, for example, one of my art history professors, she absolutely hates the Capitol Building in Hartford. I love the Capitol Building in Hartford. Which Jake loves. Viewers, um, please look it up. I, <laughs> you know, I have the privilege of interning there this semester, and it is beautiful, in my opinion. But it is a traditionally Gothic building with a dome. Oh, and the horror! The uh, horror! The horror! So, for um, an art history professor who's um, 
like her specialty is in she went to architecture mm-hmm. school that is her specialty especially like romanesque kind of art in architecture to put a dome on a gothic building so, is not conventional at all it's a crime it <laughs> to her it is definitely a crime and so when we were learning about said building she only spoke about it in a negative way mm-hmm. which would definitely push you to like be especially like, from hmm. an expert right like yeah. when an expert is saying it it's like well they must know what they're talking about it's like oh but honestly i think in order to like break away from that you really just have to spend time i'll talk about art specifically like looking at different kinds of art and really fishing out what you like and don't like i've found that yeah. over the years art that is more grotesque and like Mm. a little bit jarring and provocative like i like that art better than say the mona lisa and you don't think that if everyone studied art as much as you did that they would come to the same conclusion like you don't think grotesque art is maybe just the best um well to me it's the best um and but I you guess. think someone could study art the same amount as you did and come out with a different conclusion, right? I think definitely. I th- right. I think um, it's all about you know. I'll give the example. It's like people having different type in people, you know. In so partners in partners. <laughs> um, so what I like is definitely going to be different than what Jake likes, and what Jake likes is going to be different than the next guy, and so on and so forth. That's true. But that is that is an example of, you know... It's like if you like tomatoes or you don't like tomatoes. Right. Um, But And sometimes that evolves. Sometimes you learn to like tomatoes. Exactly, and it definitely evolves. I would say that our tastes can change. Um, And it's not necessarily about, like, learning about it. Like, you don't need to know all of the details about a certain piece in order to enjoy it. I think just, like, exposing yourself to it is enough. Yeah. And, And so... I'm going to transition. I'm going to switch gears a little here. Okay. I'm going to go back to when we were talking about the Mona Lisa is worth millions. The Basquiat is worth millions. Some people think that it's a money laundering scheme for <laughs> rich people. I've seen this all over. I've seen it on Reddit. I've seen it on Quora. I've seen it with my friends. I've seen it on podcasts. Oh, they just they get their friends to all say that this is worth $20 million and then they, they buy it, and now they have that value, and it's not taxable. What are your thoughts on that whole, for lack of a better word, conspiracy theory? Um, well, if that conspiracy theory is true, I feel bad for the art and the artist who made such thing. I think it's hard to um, quantify that for artists who are no longer alive, but for mm-hmm. artists who are alive, you know, that the process of, um, you know, like paying for art and like charging for art, like those prices, there is a specific way to do it um usually artists will price art by um measuring their canvas if it's a painting by the length and the width yeah and also by charge their time, probably by their time and the materials that it costs yeah because art materials are expensive so usually the prices will go up and be in the thousands the commodification um, of art thousands. is somewhat sad yeah it'd be nice if it was more community-based but such as our such as our world such as our world um global capital yeah and i think also the popularity of the artist themselves has to do with how much their art Mm -hmm. is cost especially like if they sell one painting for 20 mil then they're set all their other paintings their value will go up 
exactly. And, you know, um, how long it's been there for, you know, I think um, the older the painting gets, the more its yeah. value goes up and who's buying it. So like you said, if somebody were willing to pay $20 million for a painting, then everybody else who can afford $20 million paintings are going to buy that right. work. Exactly. Like whether that painting was worth $20 million or not. Well, I guess, but by the virtue of it being bought by t for $20 million, it makes it worth it because if beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Now, I'm going to switch gears again. Okay. Because <laughs> I think we're not going to solve the answer of whether art is a money laundering scheme and there's too much I want to talk about. But I had this debate with both some friends and family over summer when I went to uh, Italy and to France. I posited, I'm not sure that how much I believe in this theory, but I was speculating. Mm -hmm. There was probably people in Italy at the same time as Raphael, Michelangelo, and Da Vinci that were fantastic artists who probably just weren't lucky and they just didn't get found in the right time. They didn't get brought from their village to Florence, from their village to Rome. Oh, 100%. You think so? Yeah, well, these artists weren't doing the art by themselves. What do you mean by that? Um, they had studio assistants and people helping them with these paintings. And a lot of these people, like you said, I'll bring up Caravaggio, for example, um, because I'm learning about him. He started his career off as an apprentice draw painting the backgrounds of paintings. Mm, under the names of other people. Under the names of other people. That makes so sense. he would paint the background and then another artist would come in and paint the figures wow. and then those arts would be sold wow. to patrons. So of course there I didn't were know that. Well I probably knew hundreds and thousands of artists in Italy at that time who were creating just as good as work. Just as good. So my I had some pushback, I think particularly from from, a, from my girlfriend's parents, actually. They said, no, like, Michelangelo had something special about him. He was destined to rise to the top. And, I mean, this is a philosophical position that I think applies more broadly to, you know, to, you could say to sports, to business. But what do you think about in this instance? Do you think Michelangelo was just... I, I personally think Michelangelo is the greatest artist ever. That's just my own personal opinion. And I'd like to believe that that's the objective truth. Okay. But I think we might have come to the conclusion that it's not. But I, I would say, like... What is your take on it? Do you think he was just so great that no matter what, he would have always been discovered? Or he was just lucky? He was in the right place at the right time. He had great talent, but so did a lot of other people who weren't discovered. Um, he does have great talent. Um, Michelangelo, I would say, pioneered a lot of what, as we were saying, as quote-unquote good art. Mm -hmm. He kind of broke down that, um, that barrier. Yeah. Um, but he did, he did pioneer a lot of what painters know in terms of technique. And I would say that he was in the right place at the right time by the fact that he had notable patrons in Italy, like these powerful families, buying and commissioning his work. Right. Um, like what about whether all the amazing not, artists in like Africa or, you know, indigenous places at the yeah. time that you probably never heard about? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's hard to say because a lot of what we know is just what we found. You right, know? Eurocentric. So all of this work that we have, like all of the Michelangelo's or the Da Vinci's that we have hanging up in museums or private collections, that's not all of their work. Right. A lot of it get, got destroyed. So, mm -hmm. like you said, a lot of this, like Asian artists or African artists who were just as talented, like 
maybe we just have also never may seen not have work. had the resources to, to make the art. resources not exactly. art not i'm not saying they didn't have resources to make art at the same level but of the same style and of course they may not have been involved in that cultural moment yeah. that that cultural epoch that gave rise to the certain renaissance christian style because i mean renaissance art is is fundamentally christian you can yes, say in many and regards style definitely has something to do with geography. Yeah. Um, the art that you are seeing in Asia is starkly different. Right. Than That's the art. so fascinating. Like, it is. We could talk about that on a whole podcast. I would definitely have to do more research about that. No, me too. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but the style and what people perceived as good or bad or, like, or like monumentous, you know? Like, yeah, no, definitely. That's different in... You know, but then the preservation things, of art is definitely important in that conversation. There's some things that seem to transcend culture and geography, like statues. The statue of the warlord, like there's a statue of Genghis Khan. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't know when it was erected, but that seems like statues seem like they have that everywhere. Even if you consider like, like there's certain Native American statues. Of, I don't think they're of the same genre. Maybe it's not fair to categorize them in the same way. But do you think there's any art that is like? fundamental to human nature and i always have reservations when anyone says human nature to me i'm like well you have no idea because yeah. all human nature is socialized but what do you think is there any like fundamentally human art um so luckily enough i'm currently taking art history 101 where we're looking at yeah. date like art that predates history we're mm, looking at prehistoric, prehistoric. art and that's all like cave paintings. And we were looking at cave paintings from France and also cave paintings from Africa and how they look similar. Similar, wow. That's and incredible. And then now we're looking at ancient Greece and we're talking about how there are some motifs that are similar from ancient Egyptian art that correspond in ancient Greek art. And that all has to do with trade. See, yeah, that's different, but I think the caves are different than the, the caves, ancient Greece. The you caves see, you know are what definitely I mean? different, yes. The when you caves, go a little bit forward in time when people are actually interacting right. with other people, that's when we start to see things that the are similar. The caves exemplify a certain a certain human commonality yeah. between but but I think that Greece, you know, sort of came stumbled upon Egypt and sort oh, of founded a lot of their stuff from there. Yeah, if, like if Mesopotamia, I'm all of that mm -hmm, stuff. Like all interconnected. People were all interconnected. They were trading with one another. You know, they're yep. seeing each other's works and they're taking from it and also creating right. their own styles. Crazy, so. crazy Egypt fun fact while we're here. I've told you this before, but let me put it on the record on the podcast. Did you know that Cleopatra's death was closer, was closer to the building of the first pizza hut than it was to the building of the first pyramid. That's how old ancient Egypt, how long yeah. ancient Egypt was around. Ancient Egypt used to have archaeologists, not, maybe not archaeologists, but ancient Egypt had people studying ancient Egypt. Like, isn't that insane? That is, and it's, it's just so crazy to think about how long people have been walking around this earth oh. doing things. And the fact that the pyramids are still up right. and like... How did they build I, the pyramids? That's how another. How they build the pyramids? How they're still standing mm -hmm. in like pretty great condition for how old they are? Right. You know, like oh I, yeah, I would say so. the Sphinx, for example. Yeah, I think there there's a ton of things that we have like hold of that are so old. It's, it's like wild. how is that even possible? I think the preservation of all of it is so important, and 
as you tie in, it's art as a part of history, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if those were to fall down, then Art is so fundamental to history. About, it's so fundamental. Yeah, what would if we have known about ancient Egypt if the pyramids were to have fallen? Right. Like, what is human culture without art? Especially if you consider music to be a form of art, or movies, or books, even. I think they are all, I think, that is all considered art. Oh, so um, so now you're actually taking me perfectly to my next question, but please finish. Um, yeah, I think that, so for me as an art historian, as an art history major, we look at the physical things, but we don't, it's interesting. Um, I don't talk about a lot of photography in my art history That's classes. That's interesting. That is a form of art. And like the fact that we had technology to create those things is amazing and i actually learned that caravaggio used um a camera scudo is what it's called in um italian it's basically like a small hole in a piece of paper and it is like the equivalent of a camera interesting and it like kind of outlines the image and he used that in order to help him with portraits but like wow what do we th- what is our first example of a camera mm-hmm. from like the 1800s 400 years later at exactly. least exactly yeah. so like the fact that you know that's crazy we have that is amazing yeah no it's wild it is it is truly incredible and going back to the hyper realism you know kind of fading away maybe it's because of cameras maybe I just, I, I've, I'm sure people were thinking that when I said it the first time but yeah but um, so my last question, we're going to end. We've gone way over our time. <laughs> That's a good thing, though. I um, think so. We're going to end with where maybe we should have started. What is art? Wow. What that... are you studying? You've dedicated four years of your life <laughs> to studying art history. Now tell me what art is. I want to know. That is a loaded question only because um, what I look at and what most people may think um, that art historians learn is like paintings and like sculptures mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But we have to think about, I personally think that architecture is a part of art right. and, um, music and those kinds of things that there's a functional aspect of art that mm-hmm. people often forget about. So like vases and yeah. like pots and stuff that you find in ancient cultures that you would see as just like a utilitarian object right they hold stories like ancient greek and mesopotamian vases they have stories on them no that is art you know i think art is something that could tell a story something physical um you can take into consideration performance art like yeah like creating something um it's a very hard question yeah i'm gonna to push answer. your boundaries here and i'm gonna um, say how is how about this macbook next to me isn't this a form of art someone had to design this nice sleek design yeah. and even the interface is that art in some ways you could say it's applied art applied but it seems like you could i mean how about this chair Someone designed this. This is a form of architecture. It's a form yeah, of... Yeah, it's furniture. Yeah, see, it, that's... It's furniture art. How about this, you know, this table? It's the same thing. Or how about a plant? Can a plant be art or does it have to be man-made? I think it, it has to be man-made. Mm, I think okay. that is I think that is where we cross our line. Um, I've actually, I've heard professors say that, you know, it is something that is that's fair. man-made. In seriously artistic about a nice tree though or something like that yeah, but the human but body is almost artistic oh definitely the fact the way our 
like right. it's the model for works, so much I of mean, art too but can you say a person is man-made Ooh, that's a that's really interesting i wasn't even thinking that you know the whole term man-made is interesting man-made versus natural i talked about this with mm-hmm. uh with my girlfriend last summer it's interesting because people say, oh, that comes from society, plastic, right? Mm-hmm. Is plastic natural, though? Because humans are natural products of evolution who naturally evolved to create plastic out of the natural world. But anyway, that's a whole different <laughs> podcast topic. Yes. But so so then are we going to say that um, art is anything man-made? No, I can't. I wouldn't say that art is anything man-made, but I think that you can find art in things that are man-made. Interesting. If that makes sense. So this ID card that I have here with this picture of my face on it says Trinity College. It has a specific design. Someone took yes. the time to design it in this fashion. Would you say that this is a piece of art, this ID card? You could. You could say that the fact that it has a portrait of you, like, contributes to making it mm-hmm. a piece of art. But what about what about the rest of it? I mean, it has a subject. It has, it has a, a title. Des- right? It has, you know, like, it's really, I think that is more up to interpretation i think that there are some things that we can distinctively define as art but like you said other things like maybe a really nice bowl that you have in your kitchen yeah. that you wouldn't have thought as an or art the piece water of bottle. art it's a nice water bottle there someone designed that right you can say it's art like but it also has a function so i, I would put those more in the um mm. category of applied art oh like so I if said, it has like, a function it becomes like, something different is what it becomes saying? applied yeah so like fashion we use clothes as a way to cover our bodies against the elements you know yeah, it's a big societal not... it, there's some big societal factors at play but fair enough we could I'll, all go nude um, i'll concede that to you <laughs> um we could all go nude um but i think a large part is you know to protect yes, ourselves okay. from the elements and you know when you consider like a design element, the fact that you're wearing a graphic tee right now, you know, that somebody defied, right um, that somebody designed, it's you know, cool. yeah. they applied that arch to the shirt that has a function, you know, and but decorated it and made it something more than what it is. That's really interesting. So, but can the Mona Lisa have a function? What if I like took it and I like started fighting people with it and it becomes a weapon? Well, there you go. But it wasn't designed to have it that function. It was not designed to have that function though. Well, you know what? I think we should conclude because we are okay. way over our 45-minute <laughs> goal here at uh, an hour and a half. You but were definitely right that I would have more to talk about. I knew you would. <laughs> I knew you would, Clay. I always believed in you. Um, it's been great having you on. We will have you Thank back you having me. to yes. discuss art. What is art? I think we need to be delved into deeper. Yeah. We need to discuss, you know, we need to surpass art. We need to get into society, philosophy, and I'm excited to have you back on in the future. All right. Thank you for having me. Um, if you have any questions or comments about the episode, please please send them in an email format to thepodcastofthings at gmail.com. Goodbye, everyone.